0: Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. All right, cool. Um, my name is Sarah, and I am the youth pastor for our church. Um, I just want to say my own little tidbit. I've actually, what Eunice didn't mention was I actually used to be a MIA staff for about three years. Um, but most of y'all don't know me because uh, I, I was gone by the time you guys came. But let me vouch for this retreat as kind of like an outsider, um, I, as a staff, have been blessed tremendously from this retreat. I've received words that changed my life. Um, And I wasn't even there to receive, per se, right? Um, This retreat is unlike any other, and I'm not blowing smoke. It's really, you know what? Just take it for what I'm saying and just try it. Let's just see if I'm wrong. Right? Let's just see if you guys go and spend a weekend there and see if I'm wrong. You can personally email me. My email is sarahu at newphilly.cc. If you weren't blessed, let me know, okay? And I'll do something for you. But let's just, just try it. Let's just try. Go, and you will be blessed, okay? Now, what is the theme of the retreat? Say it a little bit louder, guys. Maranatha. Maranatha. And do you guys know what it means? Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Jesus. Now today, um, what Eunice kindly reminded me last week was that this is the last large group before you guys go to the retreat, because next Tuesday is Chuseok, right? And so I was like, no pressure. That's cool, man. That's all. I'll just, I'll just come and do my thing. But um, what I felt like when I was praying was I was setting something. I wanted to set something up for you guys before the retreat. Kind of like in volleyball, I don't play it necessarily, but I've seen it played. And um, you know how the one person goes like this and the other person goes like this? It's called a setup, right? No. What? Lo- yeah, something like a setup. You set it up for the other person, right? So I'm trying to do this today for you guys, kind of kick it off. Maranatha, and when I was talking, when I was thinking about Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I was actually reminded of uh, an experience I had when I was in high school. Um, I went to an SAT prep class, and how many Asians have been to an SAT prep class? Everybody said amen. Okay, so my parents spent so much money on this SAT prep class just so I can get a, like, a little bit of an edge, right? Um, and I was sitting in my SAT prep class, and when I was sitting there, um, it was actually right around the time when Passion of the Christ came out. Do you guys know that movie? It's very famous, right? Um, it's about the death of Jesus Christ, very graphic, very well done artistic, artistically. Um, but to be honest, I didn't watch it. Who else? didn't? You guys don't have to say it. I didn't watch it. And I feel like a really bad Christian for not watching it. But I have a reason. It's because ever since I was little, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not very like a crier per se. But when it's about Jesus, even when I was a baby, you know, Ben-Hur, it's even older. Ben-Hur. You can't, I can't, it, it was old when I was young, so it's really old. But at the end, there's a scene um, where Jesus dies, and it's poorly done because it's made in, like, the 60s or some 70s. It's really bad. It's bad quality, per se. And then I, my mom loves telling the story where at the end, all my family's watching and everybody's like, oh, that was a good movie. And I'm in the corner, and I'm like, <laughs> and my mom's like, what's wrong? And she's like, Jesus died. Well Jesus died. That's so emotional. So I knew that if I watched Passion of the Christ in the movie theaters, I would like flood the movie theater. So I just didn't want to do, do, do that to myself. And I know I feel like a bad Christian, but don't judge me. I just didn't watch it. Okay. I know what happens. Okay. I know what happens. I've, I've read the book. Okay. I know what happens. Okay. Anyways, Passion of the Christ comes out and my tutor and the tutor in the next cubicle, they were just talking about um, what they did that weekend. And one of the tutors was like, oh, I went to go see Passion of the Christ. And he said, oh, how was the movie? They were just exchanging some antidotes here and there. They're very smart, obviously. And so they have all these like ideas of what it could have been and all this other stuff. And I think one of them was Christian, but I guess whatever. Um, And one of the tutors says, um, he says, actually, you know what I felt like? I felt like Jesus Christ wasn't a good enough main character of the movie. And I was, like, I was like, this is called Passion of the Christ. Like, <laughs> what do you mean he was a bad main character? But his argument was that um, in the movie, as, as to be a good character in a movie, main character of a movie, he didn't have enough inner turmoil. That's what he said. He said he didn't have the mental struggle of a main character that, that main characters go through. He actually thought the Pontius Pilate should have been the main character. Because he said, as a main character, he was faced with opposition from the public and inner turmoil of his moral values. And he turned it over. And he said, he was also an English major, and so he said, as a movie, Jesus Christ was not a good main character. And of course, as a good Christian girl, I was about to stand up from my chair and be like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) But I stopped because... Because number one, they were just having their own personal conversation. That would not weird. But number two, I I thought about it. I was like, was Jesus not a good main character? And so I actually looked up what what you need to have a good main character of a movie. And I got this from the internet, from a big writer's blog. And um, it has three main components. And one of it is he or she needs to do at least one brave thing or overcome something. Number two, he or she needs to be interesting on some level. Number three, he or she needs to be relatable. And I realized, I sat down, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe uh, Jesus is not a good main character. Maybe that's not something that he just needs to be. He's just Jesus. He can't be everything, right? He can't just be the main character. And so that's where I concluded. But am I wrong? Should Jesus Christ be the main character of Passion of the Christ? I'm asking a question. I'm still asking a question, guys. Yes, yes, yes. He should be. And so I actually want all of us to turn to Colossians 1. Verse 15 to 22. Can... I'm going to read the first verse. I'm going to alternate. Can you guys do that? You guys, you guys ready, right? Okay. The preeminence of Christ. Are we all ready? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds... Amen, amen. So now, what I think my tutor guy was talking about was that um, Jesus Christ was too godlike to be a main character, right? Because if he's in, in your on our nor- very simple understanding of very godlike characters, um, they seem perfect, invincible, no faults. So it makes them very boring, one note, one line, right? Now, as I stated before, the three things that you need to have to be a main character is you need to be brave, you need to be interesting, and you need to be relatable. And through this passage today, I want to ask you guys the same question. Is Jesus brave? But why would you say that, right? Because he, oh, Stella, you're such a good student. Um, <laughs> But I think for most of us who have a hard time relating, who have a hard time relating to the theme of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, it's it's hard to relate because you're not really understanding who you're calling out to. You don't really understand the authority of this person that you're calling out to. So number one, I want to ask, is Jesus brave? In this passage from verse 15 to 17, it's clear that there is no authority higher or greater than Jesus. But now you may be thinking, what about God? Because technically, God is a father, and fathers have bigger say than the son. But I just want to talk to you quickly about the Trinity, okay? The Trinity, the theology of the Trinity is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are individually powerful and individually empowered. However, they're equally powerful to each other. They're separate entities and unique in each way, but united perfectly, so it's this, it's this concept of they are separate but united, equally powerful but not powerful than the other. It's, uh, so I go to seminary. So this is what I'm been, I, I talk about all day, and it's, it's like it blows my brain. But anyways, it's three and one, equal, equal in part to one another. So all of th- authority of heaven and earth is in him. He is the alpha and the omega. He holds power, wisdom, authority, and even time. Now, this really messed me up because I, I have no problem understanding that God is powerful. He has wisdom. He has all authority, and he holds time. But what I remember when I was younger about pictures of Jesus was Jesus was the one carrying the lamb, the little children running by, right? He doesn't look all like powerful authority. He doesn't look like he really can control time. He looks like he's controlling that lamb in his arms, right? Also, when you look at pictures of Jesus on the cross, any picture, does he look What does he look like? Does he look like, you know, I'm okay, guys. This is okay. I know exactly what's going on next. Don't worry. I got this under, it doesn't even hurt that bad. I promise. (laughs) Or does he look dejected? Does he look completely in pain? Does he look completely torn apart by the pain that he has received? So this is usually the image of Jesus Christ, but the Real image of Jesus Christ, he has all authority of heaven on earth. There is no separation from him to God to the Holy Spirit. And I mentioned this because a lot of times, especially if you're growing up in America, actually just in Western civilization, Jesus kind of has like a shorter leg of the Trinity, right? So you gotta have this like, you have this uh, unbalanced view of the Trinity, but what we need is to bring it back up and have the right version of the children, but especially of Jesus, he is not to be messed around with because society has brought him to a level where he's playing with lambs and children, where he's just always in pain on the cross. But really he has all the authority of heaven and earth in him, this human body in him. Okay. Now, Can I tell you something? It takes a tremendous amount of courage, love, and conviction and to overcome yourself to die for one person. But it takes the kind of energy and the kind of love that described as beginning and the end, alpha and the omega, infinity, no beginning, no end. Everything is just encompassed. That kind of love to die for all of humankind. One person to carry for all of humankind. Now, of course, yes, Jesus is brave, but he is brave because he overcame. He overcame. Not for one, not for two, not for one generation, but for all, all generations. Now, next, is Jesus interesting? In verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, that means he's basically the ultimate version of Christianity. That's the the apex. You just go for what Jesus was like. Do you guys remember the uh, phrase WWJD? What does it stand for? Right, and most of us had it on bracelets, right? And what it was supposed to do, actually, was when you're faced with something like, oh, should I steal this? Should I punch this person out right now? Should I run this red light? Should I push this ajumma that just pushed me first? you right before you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to look at the bracelet and WWJD. Okay. I won't do it. I won't do it. Cause Jesus won't, Jesus wouldn't do it. He just, just, he just wouldn't, he just, he just wouldn't do it. And although WWJD is a great thought, it limits Jesus by a lot because what you're asking yourself is, should I sin or not? Just simply, should I sin or not? And in turn, this simplifies Jesus. He didn't sin, and that's it, black and white. Boring, perfect, completely detached from the world. And can I tell you, I am number one hater of, um, I gotta say this well. I'm the number one hater of, perfectionist. I'm the number one hater of people who are just like, Oh, I got everything under control. Like I'm, I'm really good on the outside. Like I'm number one hater. I don't know why. Like I think ever, ever since I was little, I just like faker, you know, like, I, just, <laughs> I think I always knew, you know, and I hate who loves a, a goody two shoes. Like, Oh, I'm the perfect Christian in every single way. You know, like nobody likes that. But if that's the mentality you have of Jesus, he's just a goody two-shoes son of God. Um, that is not exactly what you want to go for, okay? Now, in verse 19, it says, the fullness of God was with him, which means the character of God, the personality of God was with Jesus. And so which, which, what we're saying is that everything that God has done, Jesus would have done. Okay, is basically what you're saying, and I want to share with you this story, um, and I want to share it because I feel like it will help us understand the dynamics of Jesus. Okay, so who knows about Noah, right? And what's the first thing you think of when you think of Noah? Ark and what else? Water. What else? I'm just animals, right? So most of the time, Noah is a story for Sunday school because when that theme of the year comes around, the 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 Sunday school teachers start cutting out animals and putting it on the wall, right? And they're so cute walking two by two, the giraffes and the lions and the zebras, and they're all smiling, you know, the mommy zebra and the daddy zebra. They're all smiling, walking to the um, ark together. But um, the story came up because I was actually having... It's okay. I don't need it. Um, I was actually having dinner with somebody and he's into politics. He actually is very successful in politics. And he was basically saying how he's in love with Jesus and God is so good and blah, blah, blah. And then I asked him about his job and he says, oh yeah, but God doesn't exist in the politics. God cannot thrive or survive in politics. I was like, oh, okay. Um, of course, I ask why. And he says, if you were at the job that I'm in, working with politicians, working with other nations, you can tell that in politics and policies, it's all gray. It's all black and white and gray. It's about having a array of choices and picking what's the least bad. Not good or bad, just least bad. So when he's like, when I've been in that situation for years and years and years, it's hard to believe that God exists in such a world. That's what he said. And by divine revelation, I get the story of Noah. And I said, um, so now we think about the animals and how cute it is. But if you were really realistically thinking about Noah and what it's like, what was like for, for Noah real time, like at the time he was do- going through it, all the animals are coming. And I'm sure they're not as cute as they look, you know, when they're cut out. Right. And pr- I'm pretty sure they smell. <laughs> but anyway, so the animals are coming two by two. Um, and they 're lining up in the ark, and they close the ark, and the rain starts falling. Noah and all his family members are in the ark, and he hears the water from the flood coming up, and he hears his neighbors, the people that he 's grown up with, his extended family, knocking on the ark saying, "Save us," right?" All of them asking to let them in, but no one knows he cannot. And so if all of the people in the world and the civilization died, I'm sure Noah saw some dead bodies outside. So the thing is, the story of Noah is not as cute as we think. And the idea of God is actually bigger than we realize. Because God is good and he's perfect, and so is Jesus. So he, they would never do such a thing. They would never do such a thing. And this is where the gray comes in. What's the least bad of the situation? It's not as clear as it seems. God is always good, so he will never kill. But then he did this. But I got the revelation. He did not respond in gray. He responded with a, a rainbow. Jesus responds with rainbows. As in, I know I got confused like rainbows. As in, he is so multifaceted. You cannot put Jesus in a box. Much like you can't put God in a box. In Matthew 10, 34, 35, it says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring peace, but a sword. I've not come to bring a peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against his fa- uh, mother-in-law. Jesus came to stir things up. He came to break rules. He was eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. In the modern times, it's like you finding Jesus going to McDonald's with the Isis leader. Really? That's a modern equivalent. He actually wouldn't go to McDonald's because he's kosher and he wouldn't eat McDonald's. I just thought about that. He wouldn't actually go to McDonald's, but he would go to a restaurant, okay, with an Isis leader. He doesn't play by our rules. Is he interesting enough for you? Is he? Number three, is Jesus relatable? In verse 22, it says, Jesus reconciled us to God. And the very word reconcile is bring, bring two parties together. And it's like an ambassador who represents United States to South Africa, right? And a good ambassador re- knows the culture of both, knows the world of United States and, of course, South Africa. Africa. I was about to say South America, but that's not a country. South Africa, right? And much like that, Jesus was not detached from one or the other. He was very much in the holy world of God, but he also was in the sinful world of ours, right? He's very relatable. He understands what it means to feel physical pain, like when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He knows what it feels like to be rejected, like when he was rejected in his own town. He knows what it feels to be done wrong even by his closest people when Judas betrayed him and Peter denied him. Is he relatable enough to you? I hope I've done a good enough job to defend Jesus Christ as the main character. But the bigger point is, is he the main character in your life? Has he proven worthy to be the main character in your life? Because by definition, a main character is a central part of the story. Everything revolves around the main character, right? All the other characters play to the main character. All the scenery to the main character. Even the music plays to the main character. Is Jesus Christ the main character in your life? Because the theme Maranatha is not a theology. We're not returning, we're not asking for the return of a theology or a philosophy or a thought. We're asking for the return of a person. Maranatha is about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. And as we're, you guys are all prepared to go to the street. Do you guys know who you're asking? Do you guys understand that Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with you in a deeper level? But do you know who this person is? And is this person central to your life? Do you know how you can test that? It's very simple. If you take honest assessment of your life, are there things that are controlling you instead of you controlling it? Does your does your ideals of academics control everything in your life? Does your ideals of what your life would like to be in the future? Does that control your life? Does the fear of going broke and being poor the rest of your life? Does that control your mind? How about fears? Does that control your life? Do you schedule your life around your fear? Because then Jesus is not the center of your life. He is not the main character of your life. He has been proven worthy to be the main character of this story, has been proven worthy to be the main character of your story we need to have an honest assessment because for some of you who you say, um, you know, I get this Jesus stuff. It just doesn't move me. I've been there. Don't worry. I have grown up in the church. I'm fourth generation Christian. Everything in my house is Christian paraphernalia. Like seriously, even my spoons have crosses on. I'm not kidding. I can show you. I got these like, I don't know. I don't know where my parents got it, but I got crosses on my spoons at my house. Okay. I can totally relate to you when you say you just hear about Jesus all the time and it doesn't trigger you. Even when you hear about the gospel, it doesn't make your heart go on fire. And it's because it's not about an idea, it's about a person. This person was real. He walked on this earth like you and I are walking right now. And he's still alive in heaven. This person doesn't play around and he is coming back. So I understand the frustration when you hear message after message and your heart doesn't move. I understand the frustration when your retreat's coming up and you feel like you should go, but you don't know why you want to go. I want to lay it to you clearly. It's because Jesus Christ has been proven worthy to be the main character of your life and everybody's life. Get excited. Maranatha is about a person. You want to encounter person. And this person who is all powerful, has all the authority is waiting to meet you in two weeks. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet this person that they say here? Because we're about to clean some house right now. We need to clean house before we go.